Hello, everyone. This is Tommy, World at War Comics, creator of Kingsville, an amazing comic book that you could get your hands on November 30th with our Kickstarter. Go to Kickstarter right now. Type in Kingsville. You'll see it right there. Hit that notify button. That way it lets you know when we go live. All right. Today's podcast is absolutely amazing, but it's brought to you by a couple really good friends. First, cnchilies.com. Go to C-I-E-N-C-H-I-L-E-S.com to get all the best hot sauce that you could buy. It's absolutely incredible stuff delivered right to your door. Use comics at checkout and save 15% off your total order. We are also partnered with Comic Crusaders, the best in comic book reviews, um, movie reviews, music reviews. Um, you can even follow Comic Crusaders on YouTube for all the incredible interviews that they do. All right, without further ado, um, really there's nothing that I could say um, that you probably don't already know about this guest, but our guest is Jeff Johns, writer, creator, award-winning writer and creator, I should say. Um, he is a producer, showrunner. He's done it all, CCO and president at DC Comics, and now one of the founding members of Ghost Machine, a creator-owned um, publishing company. Um, it's absolutely incredible. If you don't already know, producer and writer and creator for Geiger, Junkyard um, Joe, and so many different titles that are coming um, starting next year in January with Ghost Machine. So uh, without further ado, um, our next guest is Mr. Jeff Johns. Enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to World at War Comics. Today, my special guest is Mr. Jeff Johns. I mean, Jeff, I, I was thinking, like, how do I announce you and uh, let everyone know who you are? But if you're in the comics, man, I think you know who Jeff Johns is. But if you don't, best-selling writer, um, creator, um, producer, showrunner, am I leaving anything out? I mean, you've done pretty much everything there is to do in comics up to this point. Yeah, I think that's I think that's about it, Tommy. Collector, too. Collector. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, man. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you uh, stopping by the podcast. Um, I was at San Diego Comic Con and I was able to pick up the ash can um, with the cool. zero. And uh, it was kind of like a little bit of a, a light announcement, right? And then all of a sudden, New York Comic Con comes and boom, everything is released, man. I mean, how exciting was that to be able to do that at a con like New York Comic Con to be able to kind of share with the world with you and the team? Oh, it was awesome. We, uh, I mean, we've been working on this for over, well over a year now. So Brad and Brian and Jay and Gary and everybody, Pete, uh, we've, you know, we've been dying to talk about it. And uh, and so in New York Comic Con, we were nervous because we talked to, to so many people about this to get it up and running, to have a booth there and books and everything and just start and hit the ground running there. And it didn't leak. And we were so happy for that because um, it's hard to surprise people nowadays in comic books. And um, and we did that. But New York Comic Con was great. The feedback was amazing. The turnout was awesome. The booth was fun. And it's just it feels so good to to launch something new with people you absolutely love working with and um, on stuff you love working on. It's been awesome. For sure. I mean, let's talk a little bit about Ghost Machine, right? So it's a uh, fully creator owned in every single aspect of that. Um, and then I noticed that you also partnered with Image Comics, um, who I think kind of set the standard for that type of an, an element. Can you talk about how important it was that it was creator owned and that your partner was image? 
Yeah, it's it's easy. Image. So I've known Eric Stevenson forever. Image, obviously, when I was growing up, they launched and it was such so amazing to see Spawn and Savage Dragon and Wildcats and all these great new characters by top talent. It was amazing. And so Image has been a real inspiration for all of us in our careers and our lives. And it was always the gold standard for us of creator-owned comics because image is a place where it stands for that like nobody else because you you publish through image have a great partnership with their entire team their marketing and pr and and production and everyone there and then you control the the and and own the property the character you create you own a hundred percent um and you still control all aspects of that whether you're doing a a t-shirt or a tv show whatever you still control it all and own it all and that's something that no other companies out there really have in totality. Some of them have deals, but they don't represent it like Image Comics. And Image, to me, that Image Eye is so iconic in terms of creator-owned comics and mainstream creators breaking ground by forming it. So that was our inspiration. And then we're and their characters first. The way they started was with Spawn and St- Savage Dragon. And we're starting with Redcoat and Rook and our characters. We want to make this a character company and then creator company. Like it's and, and by by co-owning everything, all of it together, it changes the nature of the business. So we can actually build a business plan and a business that helps everybody that's a part of it and that's a new thing and it's creator operated too we're not just part owners we're we're owners and we control the operation of it and so it allows us to do things that i mean from small things like just posting previews any any kind of preview we want to big things like our scheduling and you know the financial operations and our editorial teams and everything like that it's really important to us to take all our years of experience not just in creation but also in production and put it all together. And, and all of us are coming at it from different angles. So it's been incredibly rewarding. I've been working with a lot of these creators for years and years mm-hmm. and, um, and to do it together with people you really love is it's pretty special. And at a place that you were inspired by, like I, as a kid, if you told me I'd be a part of a company that was with teamed up with image comics, when I was a kid, I would have been, I would have been so excited. And um, I am today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I I think anybody that's kind of our age remembers that uh, early 90s boom on comic books and image being right there at the forefront of it. I mean, lines at comic book stores to get autographs. I mean, it, I, I never experienced that before image, right? And, and I was collecting before that. But uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, what a huge time in comic books. And then all these years later, what, 30 years later to be able to be part of it, it's got to feel pretty good. It does. You know, one of the quotes we had from one of the founders um, was what took what took this generation so long to do. And um, and they're right. It hasn't there hasn't been kind of a, you know, a a mass. I mean, a mass team up like this with with top level creators since the formation of image. And so, again, we take real um, we take real, real pride in the fact that we get to do it with them. It's fun. And I would think, you know, as you look toward the future of Ghost Machine, this is a pretty good way to attract amazing talent as well, right? I know you're starting with amazing talent, but I assume you have a lot of uh, things that you want to accomplish, like maybe in your first five years, and to gain some amazing talent to be creator-owned in all aspects like that has to be an amazing tool to do that. 
It is. I mean, we just announced Ivan Reese, so who I work with on Green Lantern, and we're doing a book called Hyde Street that's out in October. Nice. Um, be a preview of that also in the Ghost Machine number one um, issue in January. It comes out January 24th with everybody. So we're slowly but surely revealing, you know, the other aspects of Ghost Machine that we've been working on for quite a while. Um, and that that will that one shot will really set the stage for our 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 first wave of of books and characters and creators. Yeah, I mean, twenty twenty four has got to be huge um, for Ghost Machine. I don't it know is. if announced like how many titles. Um, I know some of them, like the Rook and some of the other ones that you've announced, but there's got to be quite a bit going on for twenty twenty four. There is. We've got you know, look, our, our the key thing for us too is to create characters, and and we're committed to these characters. Brian Hitch and I are committed to Red Coat. Like this is a book and a title we are committed on. Geiger is you know, Geiger we're committed to. Like we're committed to these books and keeping these books going they're not just going to be there and gone the characters are going to you know we're, we're, we're telling long form storytelling with these characters so we have you know we have miniseries we have monthlies but yeah 2024 we've you know we've mentioned a lot of the titles that we're going to be launching in 24 and, and and into uh into 25 but um but there's always some more <laughs> more things to come yeah yeah so as, as you're coming together with these folks and creating ghost machine, like how far in advance have you been working on this until the day that you're able to now, like, is this three or four years in the making? Like, what does that look like um, you know, on the outside looking in? Well, Tommy, it's really organic and how it grew because after Gary Frank and I finished doomsday clock, Gary and I spoke and it was really like, it's time for create our own book. And I talked to Eric for years about image and mm -hmm. there's opportunity for us to do geiger there and so we did this and as we did it we had a lot of fun it was great working with them we did a story we loved yeah. um, and we always knew we were going to come back to him and we, we did junkyard joe, joe next and we originally weren't sure we we're going to keep doing creator own books but it was so rewarding on so many levels that we're like this is where we want to want to be now we want to be an image and as we were doing that, Jason Fabak and I had just finished Batman Three Jokers, and we were talking about doing a creator-owned book. And so then, and Brian Hitch and I were talking, and then we started talking to Brad Meltzer and Pete Tomasi um, and uh, Francis Manipal and, and all these other creators. And we started saying, like, it's all it's time for us to all to do this right now, but how can we do it together? How can we actually build a better company, knowing what we know about how every company works, how can we build a company that is creator driven and owned and operated at every level? And, and it took us a long time to just build the logistics. What does that look like? What does it actually look like? And then also talk about the creative. We, what, what, what do we want out of our creative? Well, we love superheroes and yeah. some of our books are kind of superhero adjacent like Geiger, but they're really genre books. They're more about there's action heroes and supernatural characters and, and all all this sci-fi but it's not straight capes and tights that's not what we're doing mm -hmm. um, and so all of that the creative side and the business side it all it all took years to come together and like jay and i've been working on rook for you know well over a year and a half two years since oh, batman wow. three jokers so we're just stacking up the books <laughs> release and um and same with red coat and all these other titles is that we've just been working on them creatively but the goal is to, again, introduce, you can see at our website, ghostmachinepro.com, the first wave of characters, is to really put everything we have into establishing these characters and introducing these new stories and new genres and tones yeah. and getting them out there for readers and collectors. 
That's amazing. Now, I mean, you spent a long time at DC. Um, what can you take away from DC in a positive way that you could utilize in Ghost Machine? Like, are there things that you're like, this worked really well and we want to do this at Ghost Machine? Yeah, I mean, you look at the creative roster. Right? <laughs> that's so, a good one, yep. <laughs> uh, that's, that's one of the big positives is a lot of us, uh, a lot of us met uh, working on Marvel or DC titles and had great runs finding our creative groove together. Gary Frank and I worked on numerous books, Superman and Batman and and Tuesday Clock and beyond. And Jay and I did Justice League and Batman Three Jokers. Ivan and I worked on Aquaman and Green Lantern, Mm -hmm. uh, Blackest Night. And so we're taking all that, you know, all that expertise. And also editorial, when we work together with great editors, you know, um, and the, the team, the team is our team behind the scenes, like our people like Mike Cotton and and um others are are from these companies as well we recruited from the people we know and, and met with and really really love their jobs love the medium and love comic books because this is comic books first before anything else but our the things that we learned were i mean relationships working together what great editorial direction is when there's there's both freedom and direction yeah. right got to have both you can't just have freedom you also need direction what are what's our goal and then the path isn't narrow because that can be too like micromanaging when it comes to co- comes to creative but the path is wide but we're all marching in the same direction we're all talking about characters right that our books mo- for the most part most of our books are characters in mm-hmm. title and in story of course our, our titles are about characters our stories about characters um and uh, and as long as we all have that goal of creating super engaging cliffhanger driven awesome books and stories yeah. with these characters that's you know th- that's really the best editorial direction when when i was at dc was when you had a great editor or leadership right. that had direction but gave you freedom you know mm-hmm. and, and that's really what the deal gave us a lot of that when we were there um we, on green lantern and aquaman like it was really there was you know, all my editors and, and Dan and everybody helped us mm-hmm. help give us the, the, the tools and the, the freedom, but also gave us direction. And that was, I think really in hindsight, probably the most important thing, Man. you know, it's not to make all the books the same. It's just like, what are, what are our goals, creative goals and whatever, what are our, you know, com- business goals. And, and as long as we have those together and we have, we know where our compass is pointing, that's, then we're all good. Then we can go do what we do best is create great books. Yeah. How how was that relationship with Dan Didio and what kind of impact did he have on your career? Because I know you obviously have a pretty good relationship with Dan. Yeah, I mean, Dan was the guy that got me to sign exclusive at DC when I was at Marvel still and uh, early on. And it was interesting because, you know, I, I like on Green Lantern, for example, um, Green Lantern Rebirth way back when I was working on like JSA and the Flash. I mean, he just brought Hawkman back and, and it worked pretty well. And he just he came and said, Hey, I want to bring um Hal Jordan back and Green Lantern back. And and I said, oh, Okay, well, do you have a do you have any ideas? He said, No. He said, <laughs> I just wanted wanted I'd like to, like him to be Green Lantern again. I said, Okay. So it was that kind of thing where I got to sit back and look at the box that all the characters were in. And I don't mind working in a box. It's fun to work in a box. And um, there was a lot of like, back then people were like arguing about who their favorite Green Lantern w- was, which I always thought was, was, was silly. Cause I love all of them. Yeah. 
I was like, look, I want to, if, if it's not just about bringing Hal Jordan back, it's about bringing the Green Lantern core back. The scope of the book mm-hmm. centered around emotion and, and what, what that, that theme was about. And so I wrote up a proposal that brought, brought back, you know, kept Kyle as a central Green Lantern and Hal and brought John Stewart and, and Guy Gardner back in the front. Yeah. And, um, and Kilowog was, who was like, at that point he was dead, I think. And the most of the core was dead. It was like, how do we get it back to the grand scale of it so we could start clean and build? Because I, I like building. Um, so I pitched it to Dan. I still have my same proposal. And the ending was slightly different. And Dan and I had a lot of discussions about it. And he was pretty adamant about a certain note. And at the end of the day, he was he was right about it. Yeah. And um and it, and it and so we I, I did that, but I did that not with like when I think sometimes people think like creative control means no one tells you in, to do anything, no one gives you notes, yeah. and that's not that's not what creative control is. Um, for me, I want collaboration. I want notes. I when you get notes that are good from a good editor or a good leader yeah. or a good partner, it's the best. Whether it's an artist you're working with or someone like Dan or your editors, like Brian Cunningham's an amazing editor. You get notes from them, um, from from you know Jay or Gary on or, or Brian on on scripts I've written. I love it. Collaboration to me is key. Creative control is not about no notes, right? It's not about I don't want any input from anyone. Yeah. Creative freedom is like I get to tell the stories I want to tell. Um, we get to release the book when we want to release it, not when a uh, an, an accountant wants the book out so they can make some money. Right. So so for us the the you know that was that was an example of the Green Lantern rebirth thing was an example and then Dan just let us go do our thing on Green Lantern like Sinestro Corps you know that that was that just came out of the run that was not any no one told us to do that I I, uh, I just started writing that story and building that story and Ivan was there drawing it and then Sinestro Corps for me was a lot of learning from other events I did like Infinite Crisis right and saying what worked in that what didn't work how can I make this event even better how can I build something that is only a green lantern story and and so giving you know giving the us the a a direction but also freedom was was the key that balance is key Um, green lantern i i had that black assigned originally was going to be like sinestro court was only going to be a crossover between green lantern and and core and it was going to tie have some connection connectivity to the dcu and Dan was one that said, dude, it's bigger than that. It's just, it deserves to be bigger. And he was right. I'm glad that we broke it out into its own series, Blackest Night, because it did, it it was bigger and it allowed me to tell more story in Green Lantern and Blackest Night and, and GLC. Um, so that's an example. And there's also, there's been points where on Aquaman, the launch of Aquaman, when Ivan and I did it, like um, there's certain things I want to do in the book that, uh, that Dan didn't agree with or editorial didn't agree with, but he said, it's your book. Yeah, that's awesome. You believe in it. Go for it. I don't think it's the right idea, but you do. And and at the end, when it came out, he's like, you know what? You're right. That was a great idea. Uh, but but Dan was someone that always helped spark the fires and made things bigger and and would really, for me, whenever I said I really believe in this, he he would be like, then go for it. Um, and he was the one that pushed me to do bigger, bigger storylines, bigger things, just by saying like, this is worth it. This is a don't don't shy away from making this as big and grand as as you can make it yeah. uh, and, and that was you know that was that was key yeah that's awesome 
Well, on the other side of that, right, you have the positive side. What about the negative side? Um, and, and not to create controversy, but no one's perfect, right? Whether it's Marvel, DC, Image, anybody, there's got to be some things you're just like, like, I'm not going to repeat that at Ghost Machine. I mean, really the things, honestly, it's more mostly logistics because we want to be able to schedule our books when we know we can deliver them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important that we have schedules that we build for ourselves with editorial, you know, um, editorial teams that we're working with that help help us navigate our schedules mm-hmm. and stay on top of us in a, in a positive way. But for us, it's really about, um, it's more about the logistics. And then also things like, honestly, Tommy, as simple as like, Jay and I were talking when Batman Three Jokers was coming out and these covers were doing well and stuff and people were loving the images and they were asking Jay, hey, can I buy a shirt of this cover? And Jay was like, I, I don't know, ask DC. And yeah. for us, I mean, you have a Ghost Machine hoodie on right now. I have a hat. For us, having the ability to have a storefront in, up instantly is that we have the ability, if if a issue comes out and the cover's great and someone says, I'd love to buy that T-shirt, yeah. We can say no problem. And there's no red tape for us to go boom. And we build the shirt and it's up online yeah. in 24 hours. That's because awesome. we're small and nimble, we can we don't have to wade through mm-hmm. approvals. To try and get something approved at a huge corporate company, to even just get a t-shirt on, you're like, well, who else has the licensee license and who's gonna make it and how are we gonna do it? And we have to get approved by 10 different people before it goes online. You're just it's not worth the the time for them. Yeah. For us, it is worth the time and we can do it. We can put images of anything we want. No one can tell us not to post a cover or a page or a sneak peek. We can do the interviews like this without people telling us yeah. you can't talk to that person. You don't, we we don't, we only want you doing one interview this. You can't talk about that storyline. Um it gives us a freedom and a and a uh uh being being a and creator controlled and owned and operated company, yeah. it gives us the freedom to just be nimble, right? Because we don't have um, layers of corporate over- structure on top of us that that have directions that don't necessarily, you know, line up with what's good for a comic book company, right? Yeah, um, and and that that is a that I'd say just we learned from mm-hmm. when you got stuck in the mud a lot on certain things. What how can we improve upon that? And and that just comes from you know again the just the nature of what we are as Ghost Machine. You know the the name came from. The phrase ghost in the machine which is as you probably know like it, today it means like when a programmer or something you know doesn't behave the way it was supposed to and you can't explain it yeah and to me the passion and the creative of of writers and artists and comics you can't reverse engineer that ufo right. uh it, it's it's magic and we are that you know we consider ourselves that magic in the machine we are the ghost in the machine that um that is unique to us. Our books are going to only be, you know, what they are because of us yeah. and our characters the same way. So, you know, when you talk about negatives, it's just really, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just the idea of how big companies can be and how the corporate structures come on top of it. And there's corporate demands that don't line up with what's good for for sure comic sometimes. And that's in every industry, right? The bigger company. Yeah, the big, yeah, the, yeah, the bigger. That's why we're really focused on quality, not quantity. Yeah. We want great books out but we don't have like oh we need to publish 20 books a month we're not doing that right. you know we have a very curated line of books just like we have a very curated line of creators and a very curated line of people that are part of the company working working with us yeah that's so awesome it's a small company it's about you know about 20 people 
Yeah. And, and I think uh, with any startup, right, the the fight now begins to kind of hold that as long as you possibly can. Right. Right. And I don't know if you've thought about that because, I mean, you spoke so elegantly about, um, you know, the larger you get. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of a large company, right? More people get involved. You get investors. All of a sudden, you have competing interests um, at times. And that, I don't care what industry you're in. If you're in a large corporation, that's taking place, right? So as a startup, like how important is it to, to maintain that as for long as possible? And have you thought about ways in which you'll go about trying to keep that nimble like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, well, first off, it's all about the people. Yeah. Right? So we had a we had a summit in New York before the comic convention. We had a two day summit with everybody and everyone meeting together in the same room for the first time. Ivan was there too <laughs> secretly. Talk about uh, a powerful room though with some amazing creators, man. It was awesome. But when we were in this room, we were all meeting and spending time together about what we want. What do we want this to be? Yeah. So we got to talk about it. So everyone, again, like we built our compass, right? We built our compass. We built our company, not just in the comics we make, but in who we are and what we do and how we work together and ultimately what we're going to be. And one of the things that amazed me is when we're in this room, there was one point where I'm like, there's nobody outside this room that can tell us what to do. That's awesome. It's right? a good feeling. It's a really good feeling and really powerful. And, and everyone contributed to the conversation and to what the company is. Everybody's a different kind of human being, but everybody respects and appreciates one another. And they're all great people. Mm -hmm. So the key, the key to really keeping that is like, we know we're going to face challenges, disappointments. You know, if you know something, and this is in life, mm -hmm. if you know you're going to face something tough, if you know a speed bump is going to eventually show up, you're going to eventually cross a pothole in the road. And just be ready for it. And when it comes to you, you won't be spun out. You'll just say, okay, let's take on this problem. Man. How do we fix it? Mm -hmm. A lot of things we, we talk about how nothing's written in, in concrete. The concrete's always wet, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning that like we're gonna we have a certain like there's there's things from just you know, do you do alt covers and how many? Yeah, you know, and you say, Well, this is what we think we're gonna do, we're gonna see how it works. Mm -hmm. but don't be afraid to to pivot if you need to pivot. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, we're committed to these characters. Like we are in it for the long term. These, these, if if uh, audience what needs to grow over time, it will will tolerate that. We're good with that mm -hmm. uh, because we believe in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to to keep Ghost Machine the magic that it is for us yeah. is to really never forget, you know, why we did it what we want and we're having a yearly summit where everyone flies in that we're going to continue to talk about this and hammer it no matter how big we get yeah or what else we're doing mm -hmm. um the comics it's, it's really that's our goal is to make this you know the greatest place you would ever want to be not only working but be a part of because again everyone owns it yeah that's so cool man well, I mean, if it's okay, I mean, we kind of started on the DC. Maybe we could take a little bit of time just to talk about your DC. I don't know how you take all those years and, and talk a little bit, but I mean, as you look at DC in particular, is there one title that you're most proud of? Um, can you even do that? I mean, I don't know if that's difficult to do. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of, look, not every story you, it's a little bit like a batting average, right? Not every story you, you work on works as well as you want it to work. You're always trying to do your best. Um, I'm really proud of a lot of the work I, I, I've done over the years. Um, but some things like, you know, uh, all the Superman books that Gary Frank and I did, or some of my favorite comics to look at, 
those to me are like some really nice, clean, emotional stories that that just celebrate who Superman is, like Superman the Legion, the Brainiac storyline, Secret Origin. Like those three stories really still stand out as some of my favorites I had the privilege and honor of working on. Yeah. Um, Doomsday Clock I put in there too because that's really a Superman story and that story ultimately is about, you know, Superman is the most influential character in history and um, that in existence and what what a man of action and inspiration can do in effect. effect. Um, you know, but I, if I look through it all, I mean, I, I'm really, obviously, the Green Lantern stuff, Aquaman, you know, anything with Gary, Batman 3, Jokers, Dark Side War. Like, there, I could go across. There's things I love, like the Superboy run I did with Francis Manipal. I really love that little six-issue story, kind of underrated and obscure story, but uh, one of my one of my favorites. Um, but it really comes down to the people I worked with. Yeah. DC Universe Rebirth, that one shot. Wally West is been my favorite character since i was a kid like my so to be able to bring him back in that way and have have it turn out so well that emotional reunion between barry and wally is one of my favorite moments i ever i ever got to write i have those pages hanging up on my wall um so but like i could go on and on there were so many it's really about the creators i worked with and the storylines and there's there's certain aspects of every every title i worked on I, i i'm really proud of but um you know the flash the flash run with scott collins is one of my favorites too going back to the early days because i never you know i never dreamed i would be able to write the flash he was my favorite character when i was reading wally west adventures when they were first coming out and uh, i always wanted to write the Flash. it was like my dream job of all dream jobs and so when i got to do that it was amazing but captain cold issue that 182 one of my favorite (laughs) comics i ever i ever did the only comic i think i ever wrote in one day because i had the story in my head for years and it just i just stayed at the keyboard until i was done but i mean i'm really proud and again i feel privileged that as many of the dc stories i got to do as many of the runs i got to do you know teen titans to you know uh justice society and star girl all that stuff hawkman i mean it was rags morales work on hawkman was so beautiful that that run uh, such a great run that was so fun um but but uh, you know my Mike McCone, it gets me to reminisce on all this stuff. But um, yeah, I, I don't have one. I just have a lot of great memories, and there, you know, all those things, all those great memories turn into hardcovers on your shelf. Yeah, exactly. I got quite a few of them too. I got a lot of your on yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah, fifty-two. I look at I look at all those ones. Like fifty-two was a great experience because I got to work with three of my favorite writers and and um, artists in the business with Grant mark and greg and then keith giffen it was so to do that was just i never thought i'd i'd have the opportunity to even talk to these people let alone work with them as much as i did yeah that's george perez on like legion of three worlds like george perez I i got to work with george perez on that like i've got to work with all of my absolute you know favorite creators in history like i i just I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for all of that because I've I've written thousands of DC comics at this point, yeah. uh, and, and really every character I wanted to do. Yeah. There's only, there's only a couple that I, I I didn't I didn't get to, and 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 they're very obscure. You know, yeah. I love working on Booster Gold with Dan Jerkins. That was a dream, <laughs> my favorites <laughs> of all time. So yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 endless. You know, I could go on and on with the DC stuff. I could talk about any 
any of those characters because I love them all. I knew the creators I got to work with. Like it, it was great. And this is, you know, th- this it, it's, you know, for me, flashpoint with Andy Kubert. Like I can keep going. <laughs> just the great artists I got to work with over the years and and continue to. It's yeah. just, you know, it's I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Well, the one thing I noticed when you were sharing that is obviously a passion about these characters, but a lot of the best memories are actually working with a certain person on that character that made it memorable. Yeah. Well, what happens is for me that it's just like working on the star girl TV show when it, when it, that whole recipe of who you work with and how it goes into the product. Right. And it really does show through. And when you meet someone like a great creative collaborator in comics, like Gary Frank, right. Gary and I, there's a reason Gary and I've worked together for over 20 years straight. (laughs) <laughs> it's because we all want, we both want the same thing from a story. Yeah. We want character and emotion. Yeah. We want something different. If you look at our work on Shazam or Junkyard Joe um, or Geiger, it's all very different, but it's all rooted in re- emotion. We have scenes oh. where it's just emotional character stuff. And, but it is like a lot of those is it's a combination, right? It's a combination of, you know, the creator you work with, the editor, editor you work with and the character, right? Yeah. And some of the, like my favorite characters growing up, I remember I used to do lists of the top 10 and <laughs> Flash was number one and Superboy, Connor Can Superboy was number two when he came out and, and the JSA was in there. And so to be able to work on those characters, it also is a privilege to be able to, you know, work with people you love on characters you love. And, you, you know, I, I, like I look back, I got to write the Teen Titans one, Green Lantern one, Aquaman one, Justice League one, Flash one. You know, um, a lot of issue ones, a lot of relaunches that I never, yeah. society number one, I, I I never thought I'd have the privilege of doing that. I, when, when Gary Frank and I went to do Superman, I, I asked for action comics to say, okay, you want to do Superman? I said, I want action yeah. because action comics is the original superhero yeah. title. I want to have uh, a run on that because that to me is a huge legacy. And I got to do action comics for a couple of years, like I think three maybe between adam hubert it's another i mean i got to work with dick donner and adam hubert on that yeah. um then gary and i and, and some some other issues here and there like that was working on action comics was a was a big privilege so and so it's all combination of who you work with and then and then of course i love these characters so i'm always going to be super excited about them you know the the there is there's a couple characters at DC, I, I would have loved to take a deeper run at, like, but obscure ones. And I've mentioned him in other videos, like Metamorpho, or yeah. you know, I always love that character because because I is some of the comics I I first ever read, and and when I found out old box sixties comics in my in my grandma's attic. But um, there's a few characters out there that I would have loved to kind of dig into deep deeper. But I feel like I really got to to take. I really got to take a nice run at, at the DC universe in so many different ways and the characters that I, there's, there's really no stone left unturned for me. It, it, it It's all just Legion of superheroes. I would have loved to have done more with the Legion of superheroes. I love the Legion. Gary Frank and I actually almost did a Superman and the Legion book after our run, but we went to Batman earth one instead. You know, there, there's characters that I love there. Um, same with Marvel. Like I love Hulk and Iron yeah. Man, Captain America, but but yeah, I look at DC. There's not a whole lot that I, I mean, all those. I, I I don't know what I would pick for my favorite thing. Green Lantern was probably ultimately one of my favorites, just because it was a decade long run too, and, yeah, and we got to run. got to introduce so many new characters like Simon and all the yeah, Simon Badge, Jessica Cruz, I mean, Saint Walker and Trost, Bart Lark, 
Larfley is still one of my favorite characters to write. <laughs> That's a crazy character. Yeah, yeah. What about the emotional spectrum? Like, how did that come about? That really was a um, an organic um, extension of what I think Green Lantern's all about was when you talk about overcoming fear and, you know, it's not about being without fear because that's a boring story, but overcoming fear is a story. Mm-hmm. And when I did Green Lantern Rebirth, I always start with what is this about really at its core? Why is this different than any of Why can't this be like a Superman story or a, you know, Firestorm story? Like, why does this have to be a Green Lantern story? And for me, it's very specific. I remember reading some superhero comics when I was just reading them and and when I could feel like I could just remove one superhero and put another superhero in the sto- story and be the same, yeah. it just wasn't, it, it just didn't, it didn't work for me. That's why death of Superman worked so well because only Superman's death could affect the entire DC universe in the way it did and what Superman meant and his return meant. I love that storyline because you could only really do that with Superman because of the impact that characters had and how it affected everybody with the armbands and everything. It really, it really worked Yeah, as uh, a big event, but also emotional event. Um, and so for green lantern, it was all about overcoming fear. And, and so rebirth was all about Hal recognizing that he gave in to fear and, and this is why, and how does he overcome it both emotionally and literally. Yeah. And ultimately as, Green Lantern, my Green Lantern run is all about self-awareness of emotions because we all feel the same thing. We all can feel fear. We all can feel rage. We all can feel avarice and love and mm-hmm. compassion and all these things, hope. And so it was when I started dealing with fear and how once he overcame fear for me, mm-hmm. he had a kind of, ex- that had to be extend beyond him. How can he process what anger does? Yeah, yeah. So what hope can do, what mm-hmm. love is. And so what avarice how avarice can affect us in, in kind of humorous ways too because i yeah. some of the stuff you got to have some levity with it too but but green lantern grew it just grew organically into well if this is about yellow was fear and green was will and courage and they came at each other mm-hmm. they already played with black hand a little bit yeah so there's black power there Mm-hmm. And then there's red power and and blue, but what do they each represent? And then the spectrum kind of it exists already. So if you're going to do a spectrum of emotions, mm-hmm. each power affects you differently. And then then the idea was if the fulcrum is green, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the one where the user has the most control. But as you start to go out on the edges of the emotional spectrum to red and violet and you know rage and love that's when you start to lose yourself to the emotions which we all have right everyone's been so angry they're not even thinking straight or so in love that they're not even thinking straight and so that was really where it grew it grew just out of what green lantern was about and extended from you know processing fear and overcoming fear to processing all emotion and then built to blackest night was really a hey we're all alive if you're alive you feel these emotions yeah, you just do. There's no no way around it. You just do. You're gonna be you're gonna be angry at some point and probably out of control and say some things you don't mean. But mm-hmm. in the moment, you might believe them. Yeah. And so you got to learn how to process anger and recognize and say it's okay. I can I can I can have that and love and every all these other emotions. So really, it was Hal's journey to processing who he was right. and all how emotions affect him and how to get through that and how to like how to recognize that and then I could take and say, well, look. This is what a red lantern is. When you cons- are consumed with rage all the time, yeah. you be this way. Mm-hmm. It's just who you're going to be. Yeah. Um, 
And that's where it grew out very organically from the the center point of the character. Mm-hmm. And because it was based on emotion, it had story. Yeah. It was just like, oh, look, they have blue lasers or red lasers. It, it just, it would have been, yeah. You know, a, a lot of times you see people kind of do derivative storytelling of these natures. They start to do like, you know, they take a concept and then just kind of repeat it without any emotional understructure or meaning to it. And that's when it just feels more like a, a cartoon, right? Or a derivative take on something that it does a real expansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that was that's where it came from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's awesome because also I think, like you mentioned, emotion a, a lot. And I think as a writer, right, connecting um, on emotion with the reader is how you get them to really buy into the story. I think it starts from that aspect, right, to be able to touch certain things that they could relate to. Um, because that's where you start to get buy-in, right? 100%. I mean, th- it doesn't work if you don't have that, to me. That's why every story we start with is, what is this really about? Yeah. What are we exploring as people, as living beings? Yeah. What What are we feeling? What are we? What is this about? You know? Right. Yeah. And that's, otherwise, there's no, nothing there. And when you're working on characters that have been around for decades and decades and decades, you're trying to find that newness. What's yeah. new about it? Right? And, but you also want to stay true to who the character is. Yeah, did that with Aquaman when it was like, okay, Aquaman, what's Aquaman about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimately the King of Atlantis. There's responsibility with that, an identity with that. Mm-hmm. When you go backwards and say, well, he grew up on land. Mm-hmm. His father was a lighthouse keeper, very humble lighthouse keeper, who warns ships. He's there to protect ships from crashing to the rocks. Mm-hmm. That's a very noble job. And you go to the Queen of Atlantis which is a very noble job, but a very responsible, you know, responsible job. You're, 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 you're leading a whole, a whole society. And then you find out you're, you're as a child that you are, you're half, mm-hmm. you're yeah. half Atlantean and half human. And then going to those two cultures, like what's it mean to be of two worlds and, and how do you reconcile that? And, mm-hmm. and Arthur's journey was one of, I don't want to be Atlantean and be king of Atlantis because I didn't, that's not how I feel. I don't relate to them. And they look at me and think I'm a half breed and they look down on me and on land as when I started the book, it was like, okay, I don't feel totally at home on land either because people look at me weird. Yeah. yeah. Where do I fit? Mm-hmm. Where do I fit? And, and Aquaman, the journey for those 25 issues I wrote was really, I wanted him to ultimately take the throne. Yeah. Reconciling the two halves of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was him saying, it's not that I don't belong in either one. I actually am the bridge between both. Yeah. So I'm the keeper. And obviously we based the movie on that storyline. Yeah. But I am the bridge between both. That's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought I wasn't worth anything, but actually I'm the only one that can do this. Yeah. That's awesome. You know? So that's where the, the stories come from. And then I build everything cool on top. You want to build all the fun on top of it. The double spreads and the splashes and the, and the bad guys and the, you right. know, fights and the tidal waves smashing into cities and everything you want to build all the fun but until you have that understructure and it's a little invisible sometimes mm-hmm. right yeah. that you, you don't i don't put all the cool fun big stuff on top of it mm-hmm. you got to have that that emotional skeleton and and compass first and then you start to build you know once you know what the story is about then you build everything on top of it and and the best events that's it's a little invisible, but you feel it the whole time. Yeah. You know, 
the action and the emotion for me are always the same thing. Like when someone says, okay, now we're going to cut to action. Then we're going to cut to emotion. I'm like, you're doing it wrong. If you're separating them out, mm. the same thing, right? The ultimate emotional moment and the ultimate action moment should be colliding together. Wow. When Aquaman has to take a stand and say, I'm King of Atlantis, I have to take the throne and stop Orm mm -hmm. in, order, in order to save the world. And he's taking his identity. I'm claiming who I am and what I have to do, my responsibility. It's the same moment. Yeah. Right. That's, that's key in everything to me. I mean, that's incredible for anybody writing a comic book. I think you just <laughs> kind of laid out the foundation of how to write a good story. Um, you know, as a, as a writer and as a creator, um, you're limited in a comic book by how much you could say in words. So you really have to lean on your artist to be able to tell a portion of that story as well, right? How important is that dance or that relationship between writer and artist to be able to bring forth everything that you just mentioned in a comic book? Oh, it's, I mean, it's key. That's why I work with the same amazing yeah. artists I work with over and over and over. Yeah. And I do write differently for everyone I work with. Yeah. I write differently for Gary than I would for Jay um, mm. or Brian, you know, or Ivan. Like I just write differently um, because I, and I've developed a working relationship. Obviously Gary and I have for a long time and Jay and I have, and Ivan and I have, Brian and I are just starting with red coat. Yeah. And so starting to learn his language and, and what he, what he, does but we're you know we're, we're like we're creating this together so it's very it's very different but every it's vital like i think i think in a weird way and we talked about this with you know ghost machine is that when image comics came out all the artists were like the hot like they sold books and then there was some weird backlash years later of like no the writers have to like yeah. writers are, are they people buy it for the writing and then there's been kind of like not a uh uh, just a back and forth. And I'm like, well, look, the artists and the writers are equally, they're just super important because the combination of great art, great story and collaboration is what makes a great comic book. You need both. Yeah. yeah. You can't have just a great story and like the art's okay or, or vice versa. It just doesn't work. So it's vital to work with artists you connect with and everyone connects differently styles of are vastly different on, on writing and art, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. We talk about it a lot, but it, it's super important to have both working in unison. And, mm -hmm. uh, and if they don't, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you can feel it. And as a reader, you know, right away too, when the story and then the art that's supporting that story or telling that portion of that story doesn't align you know right away that uh, I'm not sure the writer and the the artist were really on the same page. Yeah, so I mean that's why that's why we talk. I I talk to these these um guys every day. Like all the day, all day we're talking about story and what we want and the point of the book and yeah. point of the character and why we're do why we're where did the story come from? Like where did yeah, it come yeah. from? You know what experience did we have that we shared or that we're that it's coming from this exactly. Yeah. And that's that's what you know that's. That's the goal of, Go I mean, that's what Ghost Machine is all about. It grew out of that, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a perfect segue, Jeff, right into the unnamed. Because sure. I think what you're saying is very relatable to the overarching, the unnamed, and how all these titles will kind of fall in. Can you kind of share with us a little bit about how you came about, or you and the team came about the unnamed, and what that represents within Ghost Machine? Sure. Yeah, so um, you know, Ghost Machine, we're launching with kind of four shared universes of characters. They're all slightly different in tone and and 
Um, and with the unnamed, that's that one started with Geiger and Junkyard Joe and continues with Geiger and Redcoat and and some of the other books and characters we got coming up. But the unnamed is a it's a group of characters that are kind of they're like modern American myths, like Paul Bunyan and John Henry yeah. <clears throat> were, were myths, and you're like, were they real or not real? And right. <laughs> I wanted to kind of develop these other characters like Junkyard Joe and Redcoat that have these stories. Yeah. And they're called the unnamed because their stories are told, but you're not quite sure <laughs> if they're real. And and their stories, like they're just kind of they're being told for the first time. And so I wanted to create a, 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 a kind of an alternate American history that is it's it's ours, but you're seeing stories that happen that you've never heard, been aware of before, yeah. and, and in different time periods. Because again, I wanted to start exploring something both familiar. If you're familiar with my work at DC. Mm-hmm. it'll feel familiar but it'll also feel new because it's slightly different junkyard joe is very different than anything i've done but it still feels like probably a book i would do and that's with all the unnamed you've got characters like geiger who is essentially takes place 25 years in the future after a nuclear world war mm-hmm. and it's about a man who's gained these bizarre and dangerous abilities yeah um, he's nicknamed the glowing man and he spent all his days and nights protecting a fallout shelter. His wife and children were in yeah. scavengers. And, and when that is blown open, spoiler alert, and <laughs> in the first, uh, uh, arc that we did mm-hmm. and his family did not survive, he now wanders the nuclear wasteland yeah. looking for purpose. And, and Geiger number one, the monthly book will kick off a, pretty big storyline as we introduce a new character he'll be yeah he'll be teamed up with um but the rest of the unnamed are all take place in different eras like red coat takes place he, he, from from the 17 you know 1776 all the way through today and and beyond but red coat's adventure his first arc takes place in 1892 when he teams up with a 12 year old kid from munich named albert einstein yeah <laughs> uh, and it's it's a little bit of a throwback to like you know Pirates of the Caribbean and Raiders of Lost Ark um, and Highland or Dash of Hellblazer. Like it's a very different type of book, but it's probably the funniest title character I've written in quite a while because he's just such a bastard. This guy's just a bastard. He's like, you you hate him, but you love him at the same time. Yeah. And he's like the last person that deserves to be immortal. This red coat soldier who came over here because he was being paid to fight you know, to fight the, the colonists and, and end up, ended up being accidentally immortal, gaining the ability to, to become immortal and, and what that comes with it. And, and that explores, but that all came from like, how, how hard is it to change as a human being? How long does it really take Yeah, yeah. To, to learn from their mistakes and change? Like if you live 500 years, would you change? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's a guy too. He's not talented at all. He says, you know, I, I'm a terrible shot, but when you shoot at people for 200 years, you just get good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun analysis about what being alive is and like what, what living is and what, like as a human being, you know, what's it all about and what lessons should be learned, right? Yeah, over- well, yeah exactly. <laughs> what lessons should be learned? What lessons can't be learned? What are we doomed to repeat our mistakes? Like all that's all that fun stuff. And then wrapped in a really cool high action, colorful, epic adventure that only Brian Hitch can draw. Um, but, but all the unnamed characters exist in different times periods in, in american history and their adventures take place from 1776 all the way to 25 years from now 
Um, and there's a timeline in Geiger and in the books that uh, you've probably seen that lays out the other characters, hints at the other characters that will be introducing some of them in their own titles and some of them within the universe of these books. Um, but the unnamed, I have a multi multiple year storyline built for them much in the same way I've, I've done with a lot of my other books at DC. It's yeah. nice to be on long form storytelling like this. We're not just doing miniseries. Yeah. Um, and so I'm excited for people to to jump in and, and learn more about them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's such a, like, obviously we have ground zero um, that just launched. We'll have issue two in December. And then like you mentioned, ghost machine will be kind of the, the major title. Here's the ash can from New York comic-con um, in January. And that's really the, the major kickoff, right. To all these other titles that will follow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. With ghost machine, number one, you get previews of, um, original stories that aren't going to be in the books, but you'll get uh, Geiger, Redcoat, Rook Exodus, yeah. uh, The Rocket Feathers, another title we just haven't announced quite yet, um, Hyde Street, which is our horror, ti horror title in the universe by myself and Ivan. Yeah. Uh, and there's some other books that come out of that as well. So, you know, um, you'll get a lot of beautiful artwork. I mean, you're going to get stunning artwork and some great stories. It's 64 pages, 499, all original uh, and the first appearances of a lot of these characters too, which is cool. That's so cool, man. It is awesome. Well, I mean, there's so many exciting news. Um, congratulations, Jeff, and the entire team over at Ghost Machine. I think as a fan of you, um, I'm super excited about what's next, that next chapter for you, because um, you did spend so much time at one place, and we all know you from that place. It's really refreshing to see you do some of these other things that are creator-owned, and I'm um, super happy for you as a fan and cannot wait to see everything that's coming next year, because I think it's going to be a banger man thanks tom i appreciate it yeah it's it's i'm again very very lucky very fortunate and uh really excited about this next chapter yeah well jeff i mean i hope uh maybe next year sometime toward the end of the year we could do this again and talk about what's coming for 2025 but i, I just want to say um thank you appreciate you coming on the podcast again huge fan very excited for everything that's happening at ghost machine and if anybody um wants to learn more i'll make sure i put all the links um in the inscription that way you could go to uh, ghost machine and you could check it out for yourself there's awesome pictures of the unnamed so you could kind of get the highlights of what's happening and then obviously you could get your gear there's a yeah. lot of really cool gear and stickers and all kinds of stuff hats and uh if you have an idea for something that you want i guess they could just kind of uh, uh send a, a note through the website of like hey what about a shirt like this and uh i think that's so cool man that uh, you're in a place where you could be that nimble so Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Ghostmachinepro.com and you can, uh, and Ghostmachine Pro on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we have all sorts of stuff up, but we're, we're all listening. We're all there. Anything you guys want or need any <laughs> feedback from readers, retailers, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're here and we're, uh, yeah. we're, we're working on these books and we're really excited about it. Well, I could tell you as a collector of uh, action figures, um, I'm hoping that we'll have like a Geiger and a Junkyard Joe. I mean, you're working very closely to someone who makes figures. So it would be really cool uh, to see a, a line one day of that as well. You will see. Uh, I will. I, I, I can't say exactly what, but there's already something uh, that's been. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. More, more news on that soon. All right. Sounds good. Well, Jeff, thank you again. Really appreciate your time and uh, best of luck to you, my friend. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, you bet.